Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. All right, I'm going to dive right into our message today. We are finishing up the God and Me message series with a message on how God strengthens us. And I want to start today by reading to you something that I found. I got to thinking about this theme of God strengthening us and how we get stronger. And, and what are the things that people whose profession it is to make you and me stronger, how they think and how they act. So I got in and I read a, a, a few trainers' websites and I came across this really interesting conversation between two trainers that I think really tells you how someone who wants you to get physically stronger thinks what's going on in his mind. So let me just read a quote to you. They're concerned about the fact that these are pretty elite trainers and a lot of the people that they're training are professional athletes. And so a a good chunk of the year is devoted to those professional athletes being in season. And the question is, how do you get as, as good a result from someone who's an athlete that you may only get to have under your influence for part of the year? So listen to the answer. We focus on the same thing we would focus on if we had someone year-round. With a professional athlete, even though... We don't get them year-round. It's our job to make athletes informed consumers who know how to listen to their body, listen to that now, listen to their body, adapt to their surroundings, eat the right foods, get the right amount of sleep, and do the correct programs regardless of what's going on around them. So let me repeat that because I think that's important. Listen to their body, adapt to their surroundings, eat the right foods, get the right amount of sleep, and do the correct programs regardless of what's going on around them. And as I read that, I thought, for someone who's coaching physical strength, it's really no different than the person who's coaching spiritual strength. What, what do I or Pastor Dan or any of the staff want for you, and I stress for you, As we teach from the stage, in our class system, in our growth groups, we want you to be able to listen to your spirit. We want you to be able to adapt to your surroundings. Eat the right spiritual foods. Get the right amount of spiritual rest. And do the right exercises, spiritual exercises, regardless of what's going on around you. And that leads us directly into today's message because you can see that today's message is titled, God Strengthens Me. And and I want to talk to you about the importance of understanding certain things that God uses to strengthen you that we in the church and and, and in teaching you will reference as the means of grace, that there are three important things for you to be aware of. Just like if you were to walk into a gym and you would see machines that help you with your cardio, 
machines that help you with resistance training. There are different ways to train and exercise and work your body to make it stronger. There are different ways to get your spirit stronger, and we call those the means of grace. The key one that you're probably aware of is this book called the Bible. That, that as you read and study, meditate on, and pray through this, this book called the Bible and absorb the message, especially the gospel message of this book, God is working on you supernaturally to strengthen you. Pastor Dan talked about another means of grace last week when he talked about baptism. That God uses baptism as a way, Pastor Dan described it as a way, a second way of saying, I love you. And downloading his love to you. And today we're talking about a third means of grace, which is called the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Now I'm going to warn you that I'm going to be building a little bit of tension in the room today, and here's why. If you're not a Christian, you're going to hear some things that will surprise you that Christians believe. Because for most of us who, are Christi who, who aren't Christians, if we've not been a Christian, there is a, there is a kind of philosophy that goes unspoken in our world that, that thinks in, in these terms, that if something is spiritual, it's not physical. And if something is physical, it cannot be spiritual. And today, we're going to ask the question, is it possible that certain physical things can be spiritual as well? And that certain spiritual things can be physical as well? If you're a Christian and you've come from a different tradition, I'm going to tell you that you're also going to hear some things that might be challenging to your beliefs today as I talk about the Lord's Supper. Because quite honestly, our beliefs on the Bible's teachings about Holy Communion and the Lord's Supper are it's one of the things that set us apart at Crosswalk Church and distinguish us a little bit from the rest of Christianity. And I want to be upfront and honest with you about that. That, that you may, if you've come from a different Christian tradition, have learned and heard other things about the Lord's Supper. You may have been taught to believe that the Lord's Supper, what a sacrament means is, is uh, equivalent to an ordinance. And an ordinance is something that you follow to show your obedience and your consecration and dedication to God. And so the thought taught by many Christians is that when we come to communion, it's to offer ourselves up to God and to reconsecrate our lives to God. It's an act of obedience and response to God. If that's what you've been taught, today you might hear something that is a little bit different to that, and I want you to be aware of that so you're not confused when you, when you hear me talk in today's message. So I don't intend to create a whole lot of tension in the room. It got real quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> I love all of you. But I have to teach what God uh, leads me to teach, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go through this, and if I challenge some of your beliefs, understand that uh, I'm only given, in my mind, a very short time up here. So if you have questions <laughs> after the service, I want to invite you right now, come up, 
Because I'm telling you, we could go down so many rabbit holes with this subject of the Lord's Supper. But I want to invite you right now, before I forget, if you have questions after the service today and you want your personal answers, if I've challenged a belief, if you're not a Christian or if you are, come up. Let's talk a little bit about it. All right, let's dive in. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian congregation. We'll talk later on in the sermon a little bit about some of the challenges in that congregation. But I want to start with definitions. And when we talk about the means of grace, we're talking about uh, means or instruments or tools, maybe you could call them vehicles, through which God dispenses his grace to us. So when we read the gospel in this book, supernaturally, through these words and the power of the Holy Spirit, God is dispensing his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his love to us. It's not just a matter of an intellectual thing, but it's a supernatural, spiritual thing that's happening when you read the Bible. The same is true of baptism. Pastor Dan described that for us pretty well last week. And the same is true of the Lord's Supper. Now, we typically divide the means of grace into two two categories because the word is critical to all three means of grace. Water without the word is only water. Bread and wine without the word is only bread and wine. The word and the message of the gospel must be present in order for these to be sacraments. So we, we give the Bible, the word of God, its own special category. The other two we call the sacraments. So I want to begin with the definition of a sacrament. So take your crosswalk notes and write this in. What is a sacrament? And I include, as I just mentioned, in this word sacrament, if you want to write it in somewhere, baptism and the Lord's Supper are the sacraments. And then I want to ask us, how is it going to strengthen me? And we'll spend the rest of the message talking about how it strengthens me. But first, let's answer that question, what's a sacrament? So first of all, a sacrament is a sacred act. It is a supernatural, spiritual, holy moment. In a sacred act, we come into the presence of God. Secondly, a sacrament, to be a sacrament, must be established by Christ. Christ has to have instituted it, commanded it for all people, uh, for believers, for example, and told us to do it. So, for example, uh, 
In the Great Commission, God tells his disciples, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Another thing that makes a sacrament is that it uses earthly elements, water, bread, wine. It uses the physical and the material, but in that physical and material, it conveys heavenly blessings. It conveys something spiritual and supernatural to us. So there you have the definition. And now I want to talk about something that I think is a challenge for all Christians. And we're going to talk about this first point of of a sacrament being a, a sacred act, which means a holy act. And I want to talk to you about it in this way, that... Here at Crosswalk, as you can tell, I'm standing up here talking to you about the Bible in tennis shoes and jeans. So we're pretty casual. We want you to feel comfortable at this church to come as you are. The thing about being a Christian is that we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. We want it to be recognized that in many ways, we're just regular people normal people, we are as sinful and as hurting and as needy as the next guy. And, and so one of the ways here at Crosswalk that we, we send that message, we portray that, is we're casual even in our worship atmosphere. But I think if you've come to Crosswalk for long enough, you understand that we walk a fine line, don't you? Because while we try to build a casual atmosphere so that people who are our guests can come in and feel comfortable, so that we can portray ourselves for who we are, regular sinful people like everyone else in the world, we are serious about our faith. And, and that even in, uh, in a world where we can show that we're normal and regular and everyday and common, there is a space for the holy and the sacred and the set apart. And to understand that, and this has been a challenge as you read through the Bible and you will hear story after story of followers of God. Old Testament Jews, New Testament Christians who struggled to walk that line between the casual and the serious, between the common and the holy. And when they failed to walk that line correctly, sometimes the consequence, sometimes the consequences were serious. There's a story for example in the book of Acts where a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, claimed to sell a piece of property and give all of the proceeds as an offering set apart to God, but they don't give the whole price of the sale to God without telling anybody. They take something that they publicly devoted to God and set apart for God and they keep for themselves. And this is not Old Testament now, this is New Testament, understand that their lives are taken from them because they treat as common something that is holy. 
They treat as every day something that is now become supernatural, a gift to God. The reason I'm setting this up this way is I defined a sacrament as a sacred act. And I want you to know that here at this church, while we may be casual, we are not casual about the Lord's Supper. We treat the sacrament as a holy thing, a supernatural and spiritual moment, a, a place and a time where you can come in intimate connection and communion with God, but not only with God, also with your fellow believers who are standing at the communion table with you. And that all of this is very special and set apart, and it is not ordinary. And it is something that God expects us to take with grave seriousness. And I want to show you that from the scripture that we just read. Now, I'm, let's go back, and I'm going to skip down. I'm not going to start at the beginning. I want you to skip down to verse 27. Notice what it says. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, because this is holy, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Am I set apart from God? Is my life set apart from God, for, uh, for God? Have I sinned? How have I sinned? How do I need Jesus' blood to cleanse me of my sins? This is what it means to examine yourself. Do I believe and trust with my whole heart that Jesus has cleansed me from my sins? And am I serious about these truths? That's the examination that Paul is talking about. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. So, so what we see here is that the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, is saying, guys, people of Corinth, you are not, you are treating this as a common thing. Very quickly, I'm going to tell you what was happening. The Lord's Supper was being eaten in the midst of something that was called an agape feast. It was a, a fellowship meal, a, a potluck. And people were bringing their food, but they were being self-centered and selfish about it, not sharing, not showing any Christian brotherly love to one another. And despite their meanness, then going and, and, and celebrating the Lord's Supper together as if nothing was wrong. And Paul said, that doesn't fly. This is a holy thing. So here, I want you to look at some passages that, that talk about the importance of how we are to behave around things that are serious before God and holy and set apart. Ezekiel 22.8. You have despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. You see, what, what Ezekiel was talking about in the Old Testament people is that the people were treating the holy things as common. 
a Sabbath no longer was a day set apart for the Lord. It was just a, a day to do whatever I want. If I, if I want to keep on selling stuff, if I want to keep on doing work, I know what God has said. Set this day apart to worship me. No, I'm going to treat it like any other common old day. And God said, for that, I'm sending you to time out for 70 years in the land of Babylon because you've desecrated my holy things. Right here in the book of 1 Corinthians, look at what he tells the Corinthians. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You can't live a mixed life. You can't straddle the fence. This is a holy thing. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So the very first point I, I want you to understand, and maybe some of you have wondered, why at Crosswalk do, do they not bring the Lord's Supper out into the public meeting? And why do they set it apart? And why, why do you have to go through special training and, and teaching? Why do you have to go all the way through 101 and 201 class to be able to receive the Lord's Supper? Here's the answer. At our church, we believe that the Lord's Supper is a very holy, sacred, supernatural, spiritual thing for which every one of us needs some training before we approach that table so that we understand what we're doing. So here's what I want you to write. The Lord's Supper is a sacred act, and we treat it that way by receiving it as Christ's True body and blood. Notice that it said in there, those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And you'll see more of this as I develop the message a little bit further. But when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said, this is my body. This is my blood. And so we teach at our church based on those words from the scripture that you and I, when we receive the Lord's Supper, are supernaturally, not physically, but supernaturally, beyond understanding, mysteriously, but really and truly receiving Christ's body and blood. Not symbols of Christ's body and blood but truly and really receiving Christ's body and blood together with, in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Now, can I explain it further than that? No, it's a mystery. Ask me to explain it further than that is asking me something like explain the Trinity to me. It's mysterious. I can't explain it. All I can tell you is Jesus says, when he institutes the Lord's Supper, and Paul repeats it here and even says, if you receive the Lord's Supper without discerning the body and blood of Christ, you receive it as judgment to yourself. So, so he says, this is really true. You receive Christ's true body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine. Well, that should blow you away. That should strike you as something very supernatural and very mysterious and very holy and very set apart because that's what it is. Now, secondly, 
It says we should examine ourselves, and in short, what that means is when we receive the Lord's Supper, we receive it with a repentant, we're sorry for our sins, but also faith-filled, we recognize all that Jesus has done for us to assure us that our sins are forgiven with a repentant and faith-filled heart. Let's flip the page. I promised I would tell you a little bit about what was going on in Corinth. And it's important for us to understand this, to understand what Paul is doing here in his message about, uh, about Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians were people who were extremely individualistic. They were people who, even though they had become followers of Jesus Christ, constantly struggled with a desire to be self-centered and selfish. I shared with you already how the Lord's Supper in the early days was carried on in the context of this huge agape feast fellowship meal and how members of this congregation were very selfishly bringing piles of food and refusing it to share it with their neighbor who didn't have enough money to bring piles of food, but they'd just sit over here and gorge themselves on their feast while these poor people over there sat and watched them. They were unloving. I think you know that, that the greatest chapter in the world on love, the most beautiful poetry in the world on love, is in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. And, and there's a reason for that. It was because the Corinthians in their individualism and self-centeredness were not very loving to each other. And many times to the people in their community either. And that's because they focused on, hey, I have my rights. And even used God's grace sometimes as an excuse, a license to assert themselves and their rights. Now, take a look at the passage I put in, and notice this is in 1 Corinthians 10, too, and it's right around these verses where Paul's talking about how communion is meant to bring us together with each other and with God in love. And, and he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but let me remind you, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But I got to say to you, not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, not for self-glory, but for God's glory. This was an important message for the Corinthians to hear. Paul is wanting to encourage them to receive the Lord's Supper and to regard it as a sacred thing that has deep meaning, that this is, communion is all about connecting with God and God strengthening you in that moment of connection. 
Communion is all about you just resting in the arms of Jesus Christ for a little bit, recalling and remembering all that he's done in his great love for you to win your salvation. He bled for you. He died for you. He was punished for you. He hung on a cross for you. He was beaten. He was nailed. He was crowned with a crown of thorns for you. Remember this. He gave his body, his life, his blood. Remember this. And connect with Jesus in all that he's done for you. When we come to the Lord's table in the Lord's Supper, those are the thoughts that flood our mind. The greatness of God's grace and the cost of God's grace to Jesus. And, And we're reminded of all that that Jesus has done. So Paul wants them to come and and have this wonderful blessing of, of celebrating the Lord's Supper together, but he wants to remind them this is not a selfish act. It's not simply a personal act that's only for your good but it's also a corporate act that is, that is for the good of the body, the family. Take a look at the next passage, John 6.55. And what, what, what Paul is saying, when you come to the Lord's Supper, you are being reconnected with this amazing grace-filled truth that Jesus is the bread of life for you and for this family that you're in. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Come to me, Jesus says. And in communion, we come to Jesus. And why do we come to Jesus? Because he is our bread of life. When we eat That bread will never go hungry. When we drink that water, that is when we have faith in Jesus, we will never go spiritually hungry or thirsty. Write this down. The Lord's Supper was established by Christ for me to use it. Now let me talk about modern day individualism and what's good for me attitudes. And it applies to this church, and, and, and I'm just I'm going to say, I'm going to maybe create a little tension in the room with this, but, but again, you know my heart is to be open and upfront. I hope you'll take my heart that way. It is, it is a little bit of individualism and self-centeredness when we say, I don't understand why I should have to do things the way everybody else has to do them. I'm a Christian. I don't understand why I should have to take a one-on-one class to be able to receive the Lord's Supper at this church. I I don't get why I need to go through this whole line of 12 nights of lessons called 201 class to be able to come forward and receive the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm building a case. And the case is this, and that is... We can't think of it only, even though faith is personal, faith is not private. Faith is also a relationship with other believers. 
And, and one of the reasons I ask all of you to go through 101 and 201 class, and, and Pastor Dan asks you to go through 101 and 201 class, is, is this. It is to share what we, as a body of believers, do together. We've agreed that our vision is to be a church for unchurched people. For sure, someone who's not a believer, who's not a Christian, is going to go through 101 and 201 class because they need to understand these things. And in fact, quite often I find that, that people who are unchurched and unbel unbelievers are like, oh yeah, I, I don't even want to go to communion until I understand what I'm doing. I don't want you putting words in my mouth or thoughts in my brain. Help me understand it first, and then I'll go. And then it's easy. We just say, well, we can help you understand it. Just come to 101 and 201 class, and you'll get where we're coming from. What I'm doing is prevailing gently, hopefully, on the rest of you who are long-term Christians who may feel, why do I have to go through all of that to go to communion? that for the sake of that unbelieving person whom you may invite to church one day and be able to say, oh yeah, I've gone through 101 and 201 class, you should go. And maybe I'll even go with you. Another reason for going is there is so much packed into not just our communion with God, but our communion with each other in the Lord's Supper. And we want you to be able to say with confidence when you come to the Lord's table, this is my family and, and we agree on these things. I know that because I sat in the class. So that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of it is if you've been here for a while and you've been through 101 and 201 class, I want you to hear these words of Jesus do this. Because if you've been through the system and your attendance at communion is rare, you're not hearing something Jesus is telling you and you're missing out on some amazing blessings that Jesus wants you to have. I realize we ask you to step a little bit out of the ordinary because you have to come back in at 10.30 or 12.30 but Jesus' words to you, if you have gone through 101 and 201 class, are do this. This is a strengthening for you. This is a downloading of spiritual blessings for you. Come frequently and receive those blessings because you need them. They are part of a healthy spiritual diet. And as your trainer, I'm here to tell you, you have to eat right in order to be spiritually strong. You have to eat of this book. You have to experience the waters of baptism. You have to eat and drink the bread and the wine, the body and blood of Christ in order to be spiritually strong. Remember those first words that we want you to be prepared even for the times where curveballs are thrown at you and life is out of control. It's one thing to be strong for everyday life, but our goal is to prepare you for those moments when the cracks appear. 
and to strengthen you spiritually for the moment when life is spinning a little bit out of control and yet you can still rest in God and his promises. And if 80% of physical strength is your diet, at least that much, if not far more, for your spiritual strength is your spiritual diet. Do this, Jesus says. All right, let's go down to the next thing. The Lord's Supper was established by Christ. And if you want to underline these words, for my use. First Corinthians 10, 16 says, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now we're back to, we're receiving Christ's body and blood. At the beginning of this, of this message, I said, I'm gonna buck an idea a little bit for people who haven't, been believers in Christ. And that idea is that the spiritual stands alone and the physical stands alone. And what the Bible teaches about the Lord's Supper is that God does something completely contrarian. And that Christianity is kind of an interesting faith in that Christianity does not put down the physical or the sensual. In fact, God created us as physical beings and gave us our five senses, and in every other aspect of life, I think you'll agree, the sensual is important. In fact, a whole book was written about this called The Five Love, anyone? Languages. And do you know what some of those love languages are? I say that I love you by giving you a physical gift or token of my affection. I give you affirmation through words that you can hear with your ears. I love you sometimes by touching you, wrapping my arm around you, holding your hand, kissing you. I show you that I love through touch. You understand what I mean? I guess I don't have to go through all five. It's the tangible, it's the physical. And in the Lord's Supper, as in baptism, God does something amazing, surprising, supernatural in that he connects the tangible, physical, sensual bread and wine with something supernatural and spiritual. Pastor Dan said it very well last week. He said, it's another way of God not only saying he loves us, but conveying his love to us and his forgiveness, and his grace. We participate in Christ's blood and in his body when we receive the Lord's Supper so that we can taste the love of God. As it says in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the, man, is the one who takes refuge in him. What a beautiful way of picturing the Lord's Supper. Coming once again to take refuge in Christ and to taste and see his goodness. Write this down. The Lord's Supper uses the earthly elements, tangible, physical elements of bread and wine so that I can taste God's goodness to me. Final point. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he said this amazing thing. 
this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, and then I want you to underline these words, for the forgiveness of sins. If you turn back to the front page and look at the passage, Paul says to the Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. In other words, meant to benefit and bless you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant or we could say it this way, it is the gospel, the good news in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the gospel to yourself and to others. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know why this is so important? I, I can put it in one word. Do you know what a curmudgeon is? Yeah, Pastor Jeff, you're a curmudgeon today. <laughs> you know what a curmudgeon is? A curmudgeon is the old guy who adjusts his glasses and his hearing aid and grumps and grouches at you about something he thinks you're not doing right. All right? We've all met curmudgeons. Some of you are elbowing the person next to you. <laughs> Here's what I'm about to tell you, you have a curmudgeon living inside your heart. And that little curmudgeon we call the old Adam, the sinful flesh, and he's constantly adjusting his glasses and his hearing aid and saying to you, that forgiveness stuff, don't think for a moment that's for you. Oh, <laughs> I saw what you did there. You think God's going to forgive you for that? And not only that, I've kept a record. I remember what you did yesterday. In fact, I remember what you did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. And I'm comfortable bringing it up again. We all have that. And so when we hear the message of the cross, that curmudgeon is quietly whispering in our ear, what he's saying is not meant for you. That's why Jesus said, keep coming to the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper, the message of the Lord's Supper is the anti-curmudgeon. It's the antidote to the curmudgeon that says, no, it is for sure meant for me. And I need it. I'm sinful. Without God, I'm helpless. I need his grace. I need his mercy. I need his forgiveness and his love. And I have it. And the Lord's Supper is proof positive because I can taste God's love and forgiveness in this sacrament. And through this sacrament, God is not just reminding me of his love and forgiveness. He's literally downloading his love and forgiveness to me right into my heart directly into my heart. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The value of the Lord's Supper is so great because through these physical means, 
God is giving you, literally giving you heavenly blessings. And these are them. Paul talks about them in Romans 6. But now that you have been, underline these words, set free from sin. The Lord's Supper reminds you, you are set free from sin. And have become slaves of God, underline slaves of God. The Lord's Supper reminds you, you've now switched teams. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. You are growing to become more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the result is eternal life. You have a new trajectory and a new eternal home. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, it's all a gift, underline those words, gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Silence the curmudgeon. And let me tell you, the curmudgeon will never be permanently silenced. That's why we need regular participation in the Lord's Supper so that we can continuously silence that guy that says, Jesus' forgiveness is not meant for me and instead replace that with the truth. And the truth is, and I want to look, I wish I could look at each of you individually in the eye right now. Jesus' forgiveness and love and eternal life is meant for you. And that's what Holy Communion is meant to assure you of. Write this down. The Lord's Supper conveys heavenly blessings to me. Not bad. I think I'm only about five minutes over. Thank you, Leah. There's so much. I'll remind you, if you've got questions, I realize I challenged some thinking today. Come up after the service. I'm happy always to answer questions of why we teach the way we teach here at Crosswalk. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your love and sending us a Savior named Jesus, your Son, our Lord. And Lord, as we breathe in the blessings of forgiveness, the, the power to reset and live a new life, to be reborn in Christ's blood and righteousness and to know that we have a new trajectory toward eternal life as we breathe in those blessings, Lord, bl blessings of your grace, which are your gift to us. Help us to be reminded that we need to connect with them often and to silence that curmudgeon. And I, I pray that you will help people in this room understand the need for preparation for the Lord's Supper but also if they have prepared themselves then to come and do this as you have commanded us so that you can, you can strengthen us by this beautiful spiritual diet that you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I want to thank all of you for being here today. And just to wrap all this together, silence the curmudgeon. Come frequently to the Lord's Supper. If you haven't prepared yourself for it here yet at Crosswalk, I strongly encourage you to take that next step. Go to 101 and 201 class and get yourself ready to come to the Lord's Supper. We, we, we'll freely admit we consider it to be a very supernatural and holy thing. And, and so we are 
protective of it and protective of you. And yet at the same time, Jesus says to all of us, do this, make use of it. Let me send you out with the Lord's Supper, uh, with the, the, <laughs> the Lord's blessing. There we go, I got it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you right back here next week for Easter.